Which song best sums up my life? Private Universe by Crowded House. Quite often being quite a private person. I'd say the Beach Boys. I just wasn't made for these times. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Try and not stress the small stuff. James Taylor, that's why I'm here. You know, I'm here to help wherever I can. Celebrate your life the way you want, like I did with a fixed price funeral plan from Tobin Brothers Funerals. The price doesn't change and your life will be celebrated your way. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. On RSN, welcome to This Is Your Racing Life, proudly presented by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's Brian Martin. Well, good morning and welcome to This Is Your Racing Life on this Sunday morning. I'm down here at Botanic Ridge, uh, which is near Settlers Run uh, in the Cranbourn district. And I'm here to uh, say good morning and have a chat with Michael Walker. Nice home, just walking in now. The car at the front's a Jeep and its uh, license plate are the cars. So I reckon this is where he lives. Anyway, let's knock on the door and see if our man's at home. Here he is. Hey, mate, how are you? Good Good to see you, mate. Just changing nappies. Changing nappies. Who's who's this little guy? Oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, just change his yeah. nephew when you bang on the doors. So. How old is he? He's four months. Beautiful. Beautiful. Four months yesterday, only. This is your partner here? Yep. Yep. Hello, I'm Brian. Hi, how are you? How are you, Good Good. to see you. All right, we'll chat when you're ready, mate. Hey Michael, good to catch up with you mate, uh, how are you travelling? Yeah, really well thank you, um, also good to see you, it's been a long time. It has and um, our paths have crossed at the racetrack naturally enough but I was just thinking driving here today you're, uh, you're a bit of a sort of a cat with nine lives aren't you, you just, you just keep bouncing back, um, you nearly died at one stage, you've had various operations with hip and all sorts of problems and here you are, the toast of racing only weeks ago winning the Blue Diamond, then flying back the next week and winning the, the Derby over there in New Zealand. So it's a game of highs and lows, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's one of those jobs that uh, you really, really enjoy and you, you've sort of got to save uh, every good moment that happens to you because, uh, you know, the next day you could be at the bottom again. But I think that for myself makes me... Um, want to strive more and be better and better than I was the day before uh, because of that reason um, I've had a lot of highs but I've had probably more I've definitely had more lows than highs so um, obviously I want a few more highs to outweigh the, the lows so um, it's, it's an amazing job though um, I really really enjoy it and you know I've also got to be you know throughout my career I've got to be thankful to everyone that's helped me throughout because without them I couldn't do it. When I look back at uh, your upbringing, your your Maori. Yeah. Um, How do you pronounce it? Uh, you know, you get bread when it's stale. You call it it's mouldy bread. Um, so that's how I sort of teach people to say it. It's just M A O R I. Sorry. Yeah. So it's ma, which is M A, or which is O R. You got to roll the the R's. So it's a ri, so Maori. So then you put it together, Maori. So that's what I'm a Maori, and um, I'm proud. From sort of a, a large family, like uh, looking back at your story, there's uncles and aunties, and um, a very close family. 
Thousands. Uh, I live out here in Botanic Ridge. Uh, I don't know. There are probably 180 houses in this this estate. Uh, Botanic Ridge Settlers Run. If I brought my family over, there wouldn't have be enough houses to home them. So, uh, <laughs> no, I've got a definitely um, a tight, loving family. Um, it's hard. I've been away since I was 15. I moved in with my boss, and I've been riding, and I've always been away. So my family's really tight. But as I say, I've been away. It's a little bit harder to get back all the time. Now, Uncle Mike uh, was a boxer, uh, before that a jockey, and you took to the boxing pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, um, loved it. My two cousins, Amar and Tyson. Tyson's just turned pro. Um, Amar's my age, and he's walked away from it now. He's just doing other stuff, being a dad and that. And uh, they wanted to be the jockeys because of their father, because of my godfather, Uncle Mike. And Uncle Michael Sykes, he was still tells me he was a jockey. I'm yet to see the proof. I still haven't seen it, but uh, yeah, they wanted to be the jockeys. I wanted to be the boxer. So um, then we got older, they grew, I didn't. Um, naturally, I went riding horses and they carried on boxing. Um, but something I was pretty good at. And um, and, and what about uh, schooling? St Mary's and Palmerston North, the Palmy area, that's a, that's a pretty strong racing area. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what do we got? We got Noel Eels is probably one of the most famous to come over to Palmerston North. Out of the minor were two. Um, Peter Hurdle, who I had, uh, he's now living in Perth. He's a great mate still to this day. His son, Ryan Hurdle, is a jockey in Adelaide, I think. Um, Peter, I see him when I go over to Perth and ride the carnivals and have a few beers, catch up with him. He was a really, really um, close mate, and he still is, and good trainer that really supported me. I got a lot of support out of the Manawatu, out of Palmerston North, yeah. when I was an apprentice, so I'm very thankful for that. Your nan says that you're a little bit disruptive at school, you lose the concentration, like to play up a little bit, is that right? She called you a rat bag. <laughs> She's pretty spot on. Whatever <laughs> nan says, goes. I, I never argued until I got a little bit older, I argued with her, but um, no, I think... Um, I had, where I was at school in Waitara and Taranaki, uh, the, all the teachers knew that I was going to leave school at the age of 15 to be a jockey. So I would be late to form class because I'd dry, uh, I would bike at literally 3am in the morning to work, get there at 4, uh, work a couple of horses around the track, the local track in Waitara, and then they'd chuck me in the back of the horse truck with the horses loaded in, hanging over. I had a couple of them bit my head a few times. I was only 11 years of age. And they go to the New Plymouth, which was a 20-minute drive. We'd gallop all the horses, then come back to the stables, feed them breakfast, put them out in their paddocks, and then I'd bike back to one of the brothers' place, um, Trask and, and Flex Damon. They had a dairy, which in Australia you call it a milk bar. Uh, which was halfway, so it well, usually take me about 20 minutes to bike back there. I would um, have a shower, put my school stuff on, grab a pie out of their cabinet, grab a Coke, grab a chocolate bar, grab some lollies for school, and then I'd shoot to school. They were my best mates, and um, they're really close friends now. They were like my old man and old lady growing up also, Frank and Roz. So we did that, and um, I got into, I was tired. Form class I got through because you're still on a high, you're at school seeing your mates. Time I got to form, um, to class one or whatever it was, whatever I had, I'd be asleep. They never woke me up, just let me sleep through the class. I wake up at interval, have morning tea, go to that, 
I go to the next class, I'd get through that because it was usually woodwork or metalwork. So hands-on stuff I was good with. Good with. So um, then we'd have lunch and then, you know, we'd do what we do at lunch, play rugby or whatever, bull rush. And then I'd get to the other class, last two periods, and I'd go to sleep again. Didn't you fall asleep on the school bus, is that right? Yeah, when I was in Palmerston North, yep. When I went to another, when I was at St Mary's that you alluded to before. Um, so where I was in Palmerston, it was near central, near, near the centre of Palmerston North, my school, St Mary's. Uh, I was supposed to get off on another bus, uh, maybe me. I was, man, I was only probably eight or nine then. And um, I fell asleep and I woke up some station. I don't know, Foxton, so it was like my auntie. I was living with my auntie and uncle then. What about going to the racing stable? Um, was it Keith Sharrick who took you to Colin Gillings' yard at Takanini? Oh, no, my uncle Keith. My uncle Keith. Uncle yeah, Keith, yeah, Bob Sharrick was Alan Sharrick's brother. So my uncle Keith, Keith McMahon, he took me to Colin Gillings because he had Napo, my uncle Bruce Paul, was a jockey. He was from Takanini and rode track work there, and they knew of Colin Gillings. They took me there. Obviously, growing up with not a lot, not knowing what I needed to go to the track with. I was only 10 and a half then, I think. Um, I put my cousin's red bands on. Like They're gumboots, if you if I just don't know what they are. <laughs> they're gumboots, so I will put them on. They're literally four sizes too big for me, five sizes probably. So I got the Colin Jillings, this is Michael Walker, and I was like softly spoken, little kid, hello. <laughs> I was like, hi, Mr. Jillings. And I went to shake his hand, and he just looked me down at my feet. He looked up to my head and my eyes, and he said to me, he said to me you'll never make a jockey. Your feet are too big. So obviously disheartening. I still stayed with my uncle. Obviously, I thought I was a little embarrassed because staff around and listened to it. So we left there, and I went back to Waitara, to Nan. And Nan said, uh, we're going to take you... Oh, Nan's partner then, his sister knew the Sharrick family. So she said, just go up there. Turn up to the stables. Now, before you go there, the gum boots you had on were too big. Yeah. You know, that, that wasn't actually your foot size. Nah, nah. I reckon they were about a size 12, and I was about a size 4 or 3. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah... Obviously, but it was disheartening. That's what I'm getting. I was, I was disheartened because I had my heart set on being a jockey. Um, you know, I went away from the boxing, so then I had my heart set on being a jockey. And to be told that, man, that broke me. That really did. So that's when I went back to Waitara and Nan took me to the Sharricks. So how was Mr. Sharrick, Alan Sharrick? Yeah, he was all right. The first thing I remember going there was a redhead. Um, so, you know, the saying, fiery redheads. So I didn't really know too much about I still didn't know anything about horses. I knew about riding brumbies in the back paddock or whatever for my cousins and that, or catching lasso in them, I don't know. That's all I knew. I didn't know how to ride a horse, uh, race horse. So I got to Alan's. Uh, my nan said, hey, I'm Michael. This, I'm Michael's grandmother. This is Michael. He would like to be a jockey. Um, Alan just looked at me and said, sorry, mate, I don't want a jockey. Um, I don't want the added pressure of a jockey because a jockey in New Zealand lives with you when they start even though I was only 11 I didn't have to live with him straight away but he just he just branched out from his, his father Bob they were in partnership but Bob just had retired so uh, he was concentrating on his own career so I went home obviously got knocked back again 
then the next day, Nan said after school, she picked me up, get in the car. I was like, why? She goes, we're going to those stables. I was like, oh, shit, okay. So we turned up there, and um, I said, she didn't want one. He didn't want one. Nan, Nan was there, I don't care. You make him want you. I was like, yep. So I went up to, there was a girl called Kara, who actually just lives here now in Mornington. Um, she's she's an, a girl that said, well, hi, I didn't know, meet her the day before, and she said, I said, hi, I'm Michael, um, just coming to be a jockey, and she like laughed or something, and then um, she said, all right, grab me a shovel, pick the poo up. So I'm in a box picking the poo up, and she's showing me what to do. And then Alan turns up, and his yellow ute uh, he used to always have and um, he said what do you mean uh, what are you doing boy I told you I didn't want an apprentice I said oh, I don't know I just want to work he's like alright then so I was working and about three weeks later he had me on a horse and um, never looked back um, I obviously had my first time a horse bolted on me I jumped off I never felt that speed of and that power of a, of a thoroughbred. Trust me, I felt it that day. <laughs> I uh, crapped myself and I, I pushed the old ejection button and jumped out the back. And um, here's one for you. I come back the next day. He chucked me on, chucked me back on the same horse, and I froze. I didn't want to ride it. I started crying. So he got off. I went home. He was blowing me up using me this and that giving me a tune up and uh, which I loved him for you know he always kept it real with me and uh, I went home and he rang me up that night and he said come back the next day um, it was my fault you know I shouldn't have done it to you I threw you in the deep end too early and I was just embarrassed because I took my mate the next day and said I can ride a horse I can hold a, ride a thoroughbred and it was Trask and uh, I was embarrassed when I obviously jumped off so I went home, and but when I came back that next day, he um, took me on a slow horse and um, just went really slow. About four months, uh, four weeks after that, five weeks, I was his main galloping rider, and I was his, I used to ride in jump outs. I was riding jump outs from 11 to 15, and trials. I used to get paid 20 bucks a week to do a trial for John Willie used to put me on like 20 a trial meeting. It was good. 20 bucks a week is a bit of money for an 11 year old. Yeah, that's all I got paid from Alan. I got, I got paid $20 a week. And this is how I learned what to do and what not to do in races. He had a TOB account. He'd take me to his house on a Saturday because he knows I'm only going to go in the skate park order with the boys and, and run a mark. He'd take me back to his house because he said, well, you're working this afternoon. He said, right, I've got your $20. He'd show it to me. And like $20 for me then when I was 11 was like gold. Like I was thinking about what I could do and what me and the mates could do with it, you know. We... There was so much we could do, and he goes, oh, you can bet with it. And I, I wasn't a better, I didn't know how to bet. But he'd give me the best bets, and he'd go, here, pick your horses. For about the first nine or ten weeks, I didn't get any $20. I blew it every Saturday. But I soon clicked on, after he would tell me what was a good ride and a bad ride, I soon worked out what you needed to do to win a race. The ins and the outs, the quicker way home, what was a wet track, what was a dry track, speed, three wides no good. People say in this day and age, with covers good, three wide and cover, it's still not. You're still covering ground. You're still covering ground. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you got cover or not. I'd rather be one out, one back, rather than third, three wide with cover. Any day, any day of the week. 
you might be have free clear running in the straight, but I bet you that horse in the one one that gets out, it's got more carrots left than that horse that's been three well three wide. So I learnt all that stuff, and uh, I learnt what jockeys are good, and what jockeys are bad, and what jockeys I needed to look up to, and uh, what ones I need to keep out of the way of. <laughs> I would like Fire and Rain by James Taylor, played at my funeral. One of the, the classic hymns, uh, How Great Thou Art. Led Zeppelin, as I exit the, the church, I'd have a beautiful day playing. Anything by Bon Jovi. Something like Only the Lonely. That's the sort of song that I, uh, I turn up or crank up whenever it sort of comes on. Personalise your funeral the way you like. Download Turbin Brothers Funeral's Memory Maker app now from iTunes or Google Play or visit turbinbrothers.com.au. Turbin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Racing Life for Turbin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. At 15, you were able to ride and your apprenticeship was off and running. It seems, just listening to this, and we'll play it in a moment, your first winner, that everyone knew about you, uh, even at 15, because you'd been around for so long, riding, riding work at 11 and 12 within your zone, within your district, they, they knew who Michael Walker was. Yeah, I, I was riding... Um, another thing, I used to got to get a little bit more money, was um, just owner trainers or local trainers at the track would ask me to do their gallops because then I was a little weed i was really small um so they needed a lightweight to do the gallops and um they could see they would tell me i was a natural but i didn't know what a natural was i thought i was just riding a horse i was only 11 i didn't know what it meant but the closer i got to a race day when i was 15 i knew so um yeah everyone knew of me i had i actually got a special dispensation i was able to ride three days before my 15 birthday and it was three days before the season so I wasn't allowed to start till the new season but um, I actually rode at Waikato Hamilton Tarapa which back then central districts jockeys don't do you got your northern districts jockeys were generally the better ones the central districts where I grew up where I came from were just as good but didn't get the opportunities as much and then you had the South Island jockeys that were the third tier, you know. Do you remember the first winner? Yeah, yeah. Um, Waverly. I've seen the video since I've... I've, I've had this real high voice and... Oh, jeez, it was funny. Awesome Heights for Sandy Javitsky at Waverly. Pretty sure it was a maiden 2,000 metre race. I led. I watched that. Um, I just got to the front, eased up, and then I just went bang. <laughs> it was something like well, that. I'll tell you what, we've got the tape here now. We're going to roll it. And we'll hear your little chat straight after the race. It's all the way to good. And this is Michael Walker's first win. Congratulations. Well rated in front. Well, I jumped it and then I was told to either lead or trail you know best. But you know, you know best didn't get the front. So I just took, took the lead and had a soft lead. Just cruised and then got around to about 700 and I started quickening up a bit. About five with four and a half claim. I pinched three lengths and that's, that's where they couldn't get me. So... And I was just delighted to win. Well, there you were. <laughs> you were the falsetto little man, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. I was, uh, could have been in a choir in those days. <laughs> that first season, the Wellington Cup, you ran third when you were 15 uh, on Gifted Shifter. There was a comment made to you because you, you got out of form and, you know, you're only 15, but there were highs and lows. But someone said to you, form is temporary, class is permanent. And that lived with you all the way through your life. 
Yep, uh, still does to this day. Form is temporary, but class is permanent. Tony Lee, who's the race caller back in, in New Zealand, very, very close mate of mine, him and Briar and the kids, um, will always be lifetime, lifetime, lifelong friends. Uh, very close. I used to stay at their place. Um, you know, Tony Lee helped me a lot with promotion, getting me out there, getting my name out there, because he knew of what I was capable of. He helped me a lot, and I'll be forever grateful. And, um, yeah, I was going through a rough patch, and um, a horse stood on my finger, nearly ripped it off. I rode it with this, like, cast thing on it. So, you know, you're supposed to be able to... I'm right-handed. I couldn't bend that, so I'm hitting the horse like that. It was quite funny. And you still ran third? Still ran third, and... Um, I tell you what, I nearly lost the ride though. The um, start before was the Martin Cup, and I'm pretty sure we had to win it to get her in the Wellington Cup. I'd been out the night before, oh, and mate, you didn't want to piss Alan off. He's a redhead and he could boil up. I'd been out the night before. I don't know what time I got home, but I was getting got home in time for track work, and I knew it. I opened the door, and he was sitting on the lazy boy there waiting for me. Where have you been? <laughs> and I'm not going to say what he said. Uh, i got to boot up the bum, get to bed now and sleep it off. So I went to bed. Uh, chucked me in the, woke me up to go to the races because I didn't have to sweat then. I was light. Woke me up to go to the races and uh, wouldn't talk to me. Told all the owners because Butch Castles is another very, very close mate. He was my first ever manager. He said he was out. The idiot was out last night. Um, if he doesn't win on this, he's not riding the Wellington Cup. I don't know this was on the, not on the line, but um, I think I drew like 20 out of 20 at Manawatu, which is the top of the straight. By the winning post, I was three back the fence. Best race, race in my life. I give it the best ride ever. Um, not knowing I was going to lose the ride, and then she won, and then I come out run through the Melbourne, no, Wellington Cup. The gifted shifter's running on on the outside, but second coming, he's two lengths in front from Mac the Knife, the gifted shifter, but it's second coming's cup, he's way too good, four lengths to mid the line. Second coming, Mac the Knife, the gifted shifter, a beauty third. A great story. That first season, uh, was that the year that you won the Apprentice and the Seniors title? Is that correct, or was it the first Yeah, co- yeah, yeah. Um, my first year... Bruce Hurd was a champion jockey and really close mate. He kept telling my boss, I was like 40 winners off the top of them with like three months to go or something. And he's going to me, your boy's going to win this. He's going to win both titles this year. And I was like, I knew nothing of it. I didn't even know what an award was then. And uh, Nick won it. I just, I was running like 20 winners a month. And um, some months like 25 30 winners i was cleaning up and uh, but at the same time i couldn't have done it without the people that supported me um you know all i can do is ride the horse but i'm not the pe- person who feeds them rugs them i was doing it obviously at my own stable for alan as an apprentice but i wasn't uh, looking after the other horses so i need to thank them for that 129 wins in 10 months yeah it was um took me a month to get my first winner i think and then it took me another two months to get my second winner. And then I rode 129 winners in the next seven months or something. First group one, was that uh, the Wellington Cup, 2001, yep. for Sir Patrick Hagen? Yeah, something I hold really close to my heart. Not only because it was my first group one winner, but Sir Patrick Hogan was such an amazing supporter of mine. Sir Patrick and Lady Justine Hogan, they were such... Um, 
amazing supporters of mine and uh, I could never thank them enough for entrusting me that day. Um, you know, Sir Patrick wrote a book and he mentioned me in there, you know. I think I was might have been the only jockey to get a mention in his book or I think Noel Harris definitely would have. <laughs> This is the race, smiling like Sir Patrick Hogan's horse in the Wellington Cup and M. Walker, first group one, coming up. 200 to go, they're closing on it. Wide around, smiling like Michael Walker and Evidiotis coming with it. Smiling like in front, Evidiotis tries hard, then Starina. The Wizkids going to win the Cup. Smiling like got it. With Michael Walker, this is your racing life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll take the break and we're going to come back and talk about when the lad came to Australia. How would you like to be celebrated? I think I'd like to be celebrated with lots of um, music, dancing, a bit of a party. I'd like to be celebrated at the pub with a few frothies. Maybe some colourful balloons, my favourite flowers. How about some glitter? I'd like to be celebrated in space. Outdoors, having all my family and friends together. At Turban Brothers Funerals, they know that every life is unique and they think that every celebration should be too. Find out more at turbanbrothers.com.au. Turban Brothers Funerals. Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Racing Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating Lives. Michael, uh, first group one in Australia, Brisbane Cup 2004, Dane Storm. Had you been to Australia prior to that? Uh, Not really. I was um, just, I rode uh, Huge Demand. It was my first win, my first ride and win in Australia, won the Hawkesbury Cup. For uh, I think it was Guri Stud then and Graham Rogerson train. Yep. Um, horse called Huge Demand. So I won that and then I went back to New Zealand and I didn't really come back and then believe it or not, the f- next year they invited me back to ride again and uh, I got to the airport and left my passport at home. And the airport where I had to go to was four hours away so I didn't make that trip. Uh, and then I decided to come over for a little fleeting visits and uh, Bruce Clark got me over here who was my manager then, and still a great mate. Um, he got me over, and I really need to win this race because I think it was fantastic. Uh, Nashville Willow was riding, was the favourite, and I had run second on him the start before in the Adelaide Cup, and I rode him overweight, but back then I think he was like 49 kilos or something, so I rode him half a kilo overweight. So I needed to make the weight for the um, Brisbane Cup, and I made a. I went there actually... I think three days beforehand and trained and made the weight and uh, rode him good and it was a huge thrill um, because my auntie, I had a lot of family that travelled over for it which was really, really cool. We were taking notice of you and we knew about you here from Australia as to how gifted you were and when we reflect back on jockeys that have come from New Zealand, I can go back a lot further than you to uh, the likes of Gary Willits and Brent Thompson and Shane Dye, you would have known of Shane and how good Shane was as a young rider. Um, there's just been an ever-rolling sort of stream of and James Mack now, um, James McDonald. They just continue to produce top riders, not not only boys but girls as well. It's uh, and, and the girls, you go back to Marie Linden and Linda Jones and uh, Ballantyne and people like mm. that, outstanding horse people. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that... Um, I think it's because of that uh, reason... We we really um, pushed to work really hard, and uh, back in those days, even when I started, like I see apprentices now, 
uh, driving around the flash cars and and don't have to work afternoons and then they get to work mornings and then not afternoons and and stuff like that. When I was an apprentice, I worked mornings, I worked afternoons, I worked at the races. Like I'd work a morning before I started riding, then I'd strap, then come home, feed up. Um, so you're made to be there and you're hands on and you're. You're focused, and I'll tell you one thing back bosses are really good and really informative. Um, I'm not saying they aren't now, but I just see it's, I just, it's a little bit easier now um, to get away with things. How did you handle the success as a teenager and then going into, uh, you know, probably around 21, etc.? Um, prime of your life, did you handle it? Nah, nah, I was. I pushed away the people that uh, were closer to me people that I should have listened to uh, and thought I could do it myself thought I was bigger than them bigger than the game got a big hit and uh, thought I could do it myself as I say but now I look back I couldn't I, I'm, I shouldn't have but hey I've got a philosophy I'd rather get to the end of my life and not regret the things I did do but regret the things I didn't do because then I'll know I've lived um, you know, I've, I know I've lived my life and lived my life in a good way and happily. And um, you know, as long as my three kids uh, looked after and happy, um, then Lauren and I will be happy. And obviously, the other kids' mum. You uh, took a gap year at one stage. You just walked away from racing. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which year it was. I can't remember. I think it might have been from between the age of 18 to 19. Or nineteen to twenty. Um, I just took a full twelve months off. Um, I did nothing. I blew what money I had. I wouldn't say I blow it, but I mean I lived off the money that I had. Um, I just I just gave up. I, I walked away from it. I actually wanted to be a builder, and I started working for one of Alan's owners' building company. Just like gun little shifts here and there, but after about the third shift, I was like, no, nah, they're not me. So um, then I, I still didn't ride. I just I did nothing. I just was a human again. You know, I, I wasn't in the spotlight. Even though um, I would go anywhere and people knew who I was and would always ask, where, why am I riding? And they'd want to get pictures with me and that. Um, You're a celebrity. Yeah, it was it was hard. It was very hard. I, f- I feel for people uh, that are pushed into that sort of limelight early on in their careers because it's, it's not easy and if I could ever ever help anyone out and steer them in the right way how to handle it I would 12 years it'll be in uh, May of this year when you had this terrible accident you're out hunting with mates pig hunting what happened? May the 19th 2008 a day that I would never remember date um, apparently um I don't know most of it, but um, obviously because I was nearly died and died and got back and so forth. But it was it was about in the Mount Damper Falls, um, which is in Taranaki. We're about 15k into the bush, and we were getting we weren't really getting a lot. And then the, all the dogs took off, and uh, I said that we got a pig. It's about 100 kilos. I said I'll take it back to the um, to the Ute. And you guys get the dogs. So. 100 kilos, 15k back to the ute, up and down bluffs, gullies and whatever. Carrying it on your shoulders? Yeah, all good. Just like a backpack. Or like a backpack. How do you carry a 100 kilo pig and you weigh about 53? 
they're easy. The hardest thing is to get them on. Um, but once you get them on, like if you've got a mate, you lean back and you just lie back and grab it like a, like a sack or a backpack. And then once they push you up, you're good. You're fine then. You just you stand and just curl over like you're an old person <laughs> with a you know with a, a curve in your back. Instead of you, you never stand with unless you're taking a photo, holding its jowls in there. But you just go like that, and the weight just stays on you. And you just keep walking. And then if you need a break, you just sit down, and then you just curl over. You can roll over and get back up again. It's easy. And you've got a pig on your back while you're doing all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was and. Um, I got to a cliff or a bluff, a gully, and I needed to. The dogs were below with another pig, and I thought I could. They were getting a hiding, so natural human instinct. I wanted to get to them and help them. So I jumped from one side to the other, and it wasn't until I was up in the air, I went, Oh my God, I've got this pig on my back. And I went, fell 70 metres head first to a gully. Oh and uh, below me, it was lucky that. Crowy and Brad uh, found me because because the dogs were there with another pig, so that pig and the dogs scattered when I fell. But um, there was I fell in the rocks, but then rolled because of the pig. I rolled into a stream, so if they got there. If it got any higher, it would have been brown bread. Do you remember the fall? Nah, I don't remember any of it. Um, they just I've been back to the place once. Uh, the police took me back there to they had to do obviously a report they'd do a homicide report because I died and come back and I was supposed to be dead so they had to go back and look at it and so they took me back and looking at it from the bottom to the top how I survived man I do not know like 70 metres might not sound a lot but when you're, not, you're at full speed with 100 kilos on you it's a lot <laughs> And they winched you out. They helicoptered you out of the out of the area and to, got you to hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, that's the thing I do remember because I stayed in the bush all night overnight. It's what kept me alive because I was cold. They took all my um, hunting tops and all that off. Just left me in my my um, jocks, and I was still spewing and I was bleeding out everywhere. I was spewing. I was in and out of consciousness, and they winched me up the next morning at. 10 o'clock so Crowy first light went out got the farmer and he knows the bush like not, like nothing and he came walked back with a GPS they come down winch me this is where I remember I remember going up the winch and because um, there was a Māori guy when I got to like he's a nurse got to the top and I remember saying, oh, cuz, you got to smoke, cuz. <laughs> and he was going, nah, cuz, you're not allowed to. <laughs> I was like, oh, all good. And then, uh, obviously, then we got back to the hospital, and um, I was sitting um, there. I do not remember this now. I remember that part in the helicopter. and But then I don't remember. I must have back into consciousness, um, unconsciousness again. Um, and Candice, they rang her. She was rushing to the hospital. From her, it was an hour drive from Hawara to Taranaki to Watara, I mean to New Plymouth. And um, she was getting there, and uh, they said she came in to me to. They said, Oh, you can go and see him, he's awake, he's talking. I can't remember this. And then she, they said she came out screaming and that because I was dead. And then so they all rushed in, and then I was in a coma, and. Um, Next time I woke up was my cousin Petrina, 
I woke up to her. She was the first person I seen. So, so you're on life support. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on life support. Um, amazing, you know, doctors and nurses and that looking after me. Um, only way I could relate to people was um, if they would their job. So if you came and visit visit me in hospital when I was in there, I would grab whatever thing I had by me and I'd start interviewing you, taking on Brian Martin. <laughs> Uh, that's all I knew. Um, Bruce Sherrick, who's a, who was a sports manager who managed a lot of Warriors, All Blacks, Kiwis players, uh, he used to come visit me, and I used to tell him, mate, where's my white skins, my white boots? I got training for the Warriors today and stuff like that. I used to be yelling. My brother stayed with me one night. I was yelling out the window trying to escape, and I was trying to. I was yelling out to Richie McCaw at the Crusaders, telling him that I'm coming to play for the Crusaders, and I didn't. I knew what I was doing, but I couldn't stop it. What did they tell you? You'd never ride again. You, you know, you're lucky to survive. So, where did it place you then? Um. Well, if I was going to survive, I was supposed to be. You know, sorry to say, but a vegetable. Yeah. That's what they said. Uh, but I got through to the surviving stage, and then I got through the other part. They couldn't believe it. They said, "How he's alive? His heart." must be massive or his will to live because I was supposed to die and um, so yeah I I came back and then when they told me I am not allowed to ride again ever again I worked so hard in my rehab I couldn't talk I had to learn to talk and walk and you name it I I couldn't do anything Um, I remember they used to give you these things to do to pass tests was just put a jigsaw puzzle together I don't know what I was doing like I can remember it back at there now but I can't remember what I was doing um, blocks blocks on top of each other I didn't know how to do that draw circles didn't know how to do that um, I knew nothing and when they told me I could never ride again it was like something switched on in my brain because they said I'm not allowed to ride again and uh, I proved them wrong Within 12 months, I was back riding. And I shouldn't have tried to prove them wrong too early because I came back 12 months too early riding. I came back, and still to this day, you know, I'm enough to say it, um, gaps used to open for me and I would be in that gap before it even opened. Like, it just came natural. Now, I've got to think a lot more. Um... I can't anticipate things happening. Uh, and I'm still riding Group 1 winners and riding good, so I want that young Michael back. <laughs> <laughs> A bit hard to get back, but you're doing so well. So over here in Australia, um, I sort of fast forward to uh, to riding and teaming up with uh, the Hay Stable, with some of the best stables on the land, the Snowdens, Mick Price, uh, Chris Waller, uh, you know, when you reflect about the last sort of five to six years and Harlem winning the 2018 Australian Cup, we'll have a listen to that in just a moment. Fantastic uh, winning the Adelaide Cup a few days later. So you're back on top again. Yeah, um, I was. And then I had to go off and have another operation. Uh, I seem to be get, I seem to get on rolls and... You know, everything gets flowing and then I need to have another operation on my hip or my back. 
uh, but hopefully I'm done with that because I'm riding better than ever right now. I'm confident, uh, I'm determined, I'm fit, I'm healthy, you know, and I, I want to win, mm. you know, and I love doing it because I love seeing the, the smile on owners' faces when I come back to the winner's store when I've won, not only won, I've just ridden their horse and it's ran well and I've brought it back in, in the best possible way I can. The Taj Mahal just in front of supply and demand. Galo Shop on the outside is hanging tough. Harlem's trying to pull it into the clear and then came Holmesman down the outside from Lord Fandango. Galo Shop strikes the front of the 200 from Harlem. Ventura Storm into the clear. Galo Shop joined by Harlem. Ventura Storm, El Mandon runs up behind them at the 50. Harlem takes Galo Shop. Harlem just in front. Harlem! Harlem's won it by a Nick Galo shop. Tell me about the uh, the man who owns Criterion, Sir Owen Glenn. Um, and I see you on Coming Through, same colours for Chris Waller. He's an older man, I think he might be 80 now. Yeah. How, how did this association happen? Uh, Sir Owen just uh, approached me about uh, writing for him. And I said, yeah, yep, I, I wouldn't mind doing that, obviously because he's from New Zealand. And uh, so the first horse I rode for him was coming through, was in the race on the Carbine the Club, the mile race. Derby Day? Yep. Yeah, the three-year-old yep. yep. mile race. So I won on him that day, and it snowballed from there. That's when he asked me. He's a New Zealander? Did, did yep. you know of him? No, 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 definitely not. Um, obviously do now. <laughs> um, he's a really great guy. He's really good to me. Uh, he, he's been really good to me and uh, you know since the Blue Diamond he's made contact with me again and um, we'll see what happens but I've had a lot of success from you know Pure Relation uh, who unfortunately went amiss she was the best two old I've ever ridden and Sunlight and uh, Ridden By and all them come out in the Cornwalls and all that she, she would have made mince meat of them. Really? She was the best sprint I've ridden, best two I've ridden. She was electric. And Criterion, he um, he was such a good horse. He travelled. He, he he could win, like globally. Um, second in the Cox Plate to a little mare called Winx in 2015. Third in the Melbourne Cup that year behind Prince of Penzance. Historic year for Michelle Payne, 2015. Just watching that replay again the other day. Gee, you held up around the turn. I wonder if you had got clear air a little earlier. Could it be different? Yeah, um, I don't. Even, I didn't even want to watch her movie because of that reason. I still think I should have won the race if I got out top of the show. I know that horse, and he needs clear air, and I couldn't get that clear air. If I'd have got that clear air, same time she did, she would have won. He would have won. Um, and I think that year would have been record carrying top weight. He was fifty-seven, so yeah. it would have been record. Uh, but hey, um, can't dwell on the past. Um, it's one that got away. Uh, but still, seeing Michelle win it on Prince of Penzance was one of the most um, greatest achievements I've seen in any sporting uh, field. Because um, she's not only because she's female, but you know, um, with limited opportunities, she did it. Twenty eighteen, the Queensland Guineas, Sambro. Uh, now this had a bit of a tail to it, didn't it? Yeah, yeah I couldn't breathe after the race. I won the race on the boat, and uh, I got off. Uh, Sam Highland was trying to interview me, and I was like, eh, God, no. I couldn't talk. 
couldn't breathe. I thought I was having a heart attack. Um, so they got me. I dropped off as soon as I hit the, fell off the ground. I just I was holding the horse, and someone come and got him. I just fell on the ground and took me on a stretcher. My little brother and his mates were there, and they're like big guys. <laughs> they came into the jockey's room, and everyone was like standing back. Jeez, who are those fellas? <laughs> and a few of the boys, like Leith and Mark Duvasi, they knew my brother, and they were like, "Cheer, brother," and talking to him and that. So then everyone was sweet, but um, they put the ECG on me, and it was like I had a heart attack. Um, so they took me, rushed me to hospital, uh, got me there, and um, it was actually, you know how babies or kids get bronchitis? It was very similar to that, but more advanced, and I couldn't breathe, and um, it honestly felt like my head was going to explode and my, my heart was going to jump out of my chest. I've... You know, obviously I have to lose a lot of weight to ride. That probably makes it even worse. You know? mm. I don't know what it was. So they gave me some meds and the way I was, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> You're remarkable. You really are. To where we are now, Tagaloa, she was a horse that got under everyone's guard in the Blue Diamond and the form was there for everyone to see. Uh, I think Nash had ridden the horse first start. From then on, you jumped aboard. Terrific win at Mooney Valley. Um, a strange sort of track, but you can never be denied that performance in the in the Blue Diamond. And then to Sydney in the Todman, chasing Farnham, which is now favourite. Your sectionals were good. You know, you're now on the cusp of maybe winning the biggest prize of all, the Golden Slipper. Um, yeah, I <laughs> hope so. It'd be good if I do. Um, be a big party. <laughs> no, um, yeah, he, if anyone only had to listen to me for my interviews going into the Blue Diamond, they would have backed him. I just said he's ran super, he was just underdone. You know, he had a few hiccups leading to trials, so he didn't trial, and he had one trial leading into that race, um, into that first start run. So really, uh, the Blue Diamond was the third time out of the gates that prep. Every single other horse in that race had had jump outs, trials, multiple races, and were fit. He still got improvement from the Blue Diamond, and he had the worst, he didn't have the worst run because we were going slow, three wide worth cover. I was talking to Peter Moody about it on the Tuesday after. It's the best place to be at Caulfield. I know I mentioned earlier about three wide with cover is no good, and it isn't, but at Caulfield, because it's a straight line and a dog leg, you can do it but there's got to be no wind. If you have that wind at Crawford, you can't do it. You yeah. need cover. You've got to have that cover. Or else... But I had, there was no wind that day, so I rode him that way on purpose. And uh, Hansi had, had every hope to beat me. He had the better run. Yep. And I still couldn't beat me. Tagaloa chimes in too, followed by a way game. Tagaloa took the front. Hansi Attic's a length away out in plenty of time. At the 150, it's Tagaloa. Hansi Attic trying to wear it down. Tagaloa followed by Hansi Attic. Personal late. Tagaloa's pretty from Hansi Attic. Tagaloa. Tagaloa responded from Hansi Attic and personal. Tell you about the wind cover. And I, I walked the track for years going back through the 90s. But way back... There used to be a huge stand around the turn. It was called the Guinea Stand, about four or five levels high. Open top, that's how it was built in the 20s or the 30s. But they pulled that down, I reckon, in the early 80s, late 70s. So it exposed all that side area. There was no, there was no protection. So when you come down that side, you look ahead, 
and you can see the railway station and the, the college over on the other side. So there's no wind protection, and that's a big factor, uh, as you just pointed out. Definitely, um, at, at Caulfield it is. Um, I wish that stand was was still there because it make our job a lot easier. <laughs> but when the wind's like that, you need to get cover and uh, you need to take those sort of cheap runs. You can wobble, come around the corner. At Caulfield, it's a hard track too. When you come into that corner, if you try and swoop around them and go too early, you get flung off the course. So it's a difficult track. And if you look up, as you're trotting to the barrier next time, look up at about the 500 metre mark just before the turn. On the outside rail, there's a sock. There's a wind sock. It was put up for a, a great guy. He was a bookie and a professional putter who died about four years ago, City Hill. City used to walk those tracks. He was a dynamite track walker. And they put this sock up and called it Sid Sock. So when you go to the barrier at Caulfield, look up just before the turn on the outside fence. That'll give you the wind direction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll be having a look at that. I know you will. Now, tell me about Prince of Arran, uh, the Melbourne Cup, what nearly was. Um, and the drama after it with the, you know, the, the fine that you got because of the whip. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's one of those races that may elude me. You know, I've had two-thirds of second, a fourth in it now, and uh, just struggling to get one, even one in the cabinets, okay? That's all I'm asking for. <laughs> um, but no, I, he's, he's an amazing horse. Charlie does a tremendous job yeah. with a horse. He comes out here and to Australia and grows two more legs. Um, he really loves it out here. So I'm um, looking forward to this year. And um, as to you know, answer your question about the drama and that, um, I'm a big boy. I can cop it. But when uh, my partner, my daughter, my, my family um, get brought into it, that's not right. I would never do that to any other one's family, kids or whatever. Just because I'm in the limelight um, and these animal activists, um, I cop it. So, um, hey, I had to cop it on the chin, but... They got what did it cost you? Ten grand, I think. Ten thousand um, dollars. You know, I was, it was a Melbourne Cup. It wasn't like it was a maiden at a Truca. It was a Melbourne right. Cup. It's a dream. Dream come true to win it. And uh, I thought I was gonna go and going to get there. Uh, hey, but you know, I do apologize. I see that time I apologize, and um, I probably I obviously went too far, broke the rules, so I deserve the penalty. But um, I just have to be more mindful. What are we going to do about this uh, excessive use of the whip? Um, I hear you guys talking. I want to hear it from you guys, and we hear it about the padded whip. How it doesn't it doesn't harm the animal because all the jockeys that I talk to, trainers, etc., you're all horse lovers, so. Somewhere, there's something missing. There's, there's an important link missing here. I'll tell you what, they, people need to understand. The thoroughbred gets better care than most human beings. They get vitamins, they get food, they get watered, they get um, covered for, you know, warmth. You know, in winter... Um, We've got to put fires on and that. They have their rugs that they can get. They're brushed, they're groomed, you know. They get their nails done. They get pedicures, manicures. They get everything. Horses, thoroughbreds get looked after better than human beings. And people um, should spend, people that are against it should spend a month in the stables and, and really see the care that and the thought and the love that goes into a thoroughbred animal because it's, it's next to none. It's, it's just amazing the, the, the way it goes. 
I saw you at Allersley a couple of weeks ago. The week prior to that, you'd won the Blue Diamond on Tagaloa. And then I was over there with a racing tour. I love that race course at Ellerslie. I, I love that mounting yard um, with the beautiful trees. It's just the, the best backdrop, I reckon, of anything in the world. Mm-hmm. And to see you guys parading there, you're up on Sherwood Forest. And I kept trying to read the play. I thought, he's a fast-knit rock. Yeah, I reckon he can get the journey. You've come over for about three or four rides for the day. You'd won on Communique um, earlier in the day. I yelled out to you, actually. I was leaning on the fence and said, Good on you, cuz. And you, ga- you gave me the car, but you didn't even say hello. <laughs> Sorry, my apologies. But you went out and gave it an absolute peach of a ride. Yeah, I was just very fortunate that um, that our plans, you know, came to hand and everything went as we, we thought. Uh, you know, I'll take it to them, and he did. He um, actually did it really easy, riding the horse. Um, you have a look at the 600 when I was coming around just before the corner. I was looking around and going, where are they? Like, I was going that easy. I actually pulled past the other horses. But once I got to the front, he pulled up. He had a look around, and he wandered on the corner. The favourite came out my inside, went past. The second favourite went past me. So they had about a length and a half, or length three quarters on me. And uh, I, I was like laughing to myself. I was like, I haven't even gone for this horse yet. Then I went for him and later, later, well, <laughs> he went straight past him and then he got in front of them again and eased up again. So he's a, I think he's an exciting star. Is he coming to Australia? I reckon the Australian Derby's perfect for him. Yeah, I rode him in the um, Australian Guineas next weekend. Uh, I mean, the Rose Hill, Rose Hill Guineas next weekend, I should mm-hmm. say. Yeah. And then uh, he ran in the Derby. He's a lovely horse. Lovely horse, lovely horse to ride. Uh, there's only probably quirkiness he's got. He wanders a little bit on the corners, but that's my job. Sherwood Forest between the two. Further away then we've got Scorps and Batley Nile next to Almatia at the 250 Dragon Leap to Elicit. Sherwood Forest, it's a three-horse war in the derby. Sherwood Forest has got the lead here. Sherwood Forest to Elicit's trying hard from Dragon Leap. Sherwood Forest to Elicit a length and a half away. Mickey Walker's got a New Zealand derby with another one with Sherwood Forest. Yeah, well, you know, that was right-handed, the derby over there. That was your third derby, and, and I saw the buzz that you got, the crowd loved it as you came back and you being the the m walker of old you, you made it turn into a bit of a hoot for everyone around you which which was fabulous yeah it was um taking the race aside it was just amazing to be back with you know people that had been there from day dot for me um and really just catch up with everyone really it was it was so cool and to be able to win the two big races on the day um obviously made it even better and um, yeah, it was it was just good to be home and doing what I love doing. You said after the Blue Diamond, you nearly gave it away after the uh, operations and things had gone against you. It was funny how the worm turns and turns quickly. So you look to be in a good place now, Michael. Uh, I don't want to put the moz on you, but it could be in the space of a couple of weeks. It could be that golden slipper, but I know you take one day at a time. Uh, you happy with your lot now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm sweet. Life's brilliant. Um, you know, my two kids back in New Zealand. Um, got Kai here now, and my beautiful partner Lauren. Got um, really good group of friends around me. Um, I don't really hang too much with people in racing, um, so I've got my own sort of group around me. And uh, yeah, really, really, really happy. And um, I couldn't ask for anything more right now. Uh, maybe a slipper, but uh, but as I say, you're. Hey, I had a good week ten days ago or something. But at the end of the day, you're only as good as your last ride. Yeah. Um, my last winner was 
at where was yesterday? A Truco I rode a winner. When was that Sunday? That Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Sunday. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and after winning that New Zealand Derby, the next day you turned up back in Victoria. Did you get a Wangaratta or somewhere for Mick Price? Yeah, I did. I rode a winner for Mick Price. A nice filly. Um, trying to get her to the Oaks. I'm riding her this Friday at uh, Valley? the Valley. Um, I think there's a three or four small there. She run well. Um, nice filly. Thanks for spending some time with us, mate. Um, it's an amazing life. It's not over yet. Yeah, hopefully not. Um, you know, my fingers, toes, knees, not, everything crossed that um, I can do a bit more in, in racing. Um, I really love it right now. And um, thank you to everyone that's been there for me and supported me the whole way through. Michael Walker, my guest on This Is Your Racing Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating life. And don't forget, it's on podcast straight afternoon today. What vehicle would you like at your final farewell? I'd like to go out on a Harley, get the engine revving. I'd love a Ford. A Chrysler. It would have to be a Holden because I learnt to drive in a Holden. A Dodge. Um, definitely a Harley. I think I'd like to go out in style in a limo. Oh, I love my Ford. It's got to be a Ford. At Tobin Brothers Funerals, they have a variety of vehicles to choose from. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.